This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, circus music is appropriate for the circus that's been currently raging in our nation's capital. Longtime Republican hitman Kevin McCarthy has managed to claw his way up into the Speaker of the House's chair. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today, except to note that a listener has sent us an advanced copy of the Atlantic article by Tom Nichols on this very topic. So happens that we subscribe to The Atlantic for the benefit of this program, but I'm just going to have to wait till the issue shows up. It is a curious circus. Donald Trump evidently called up a number of the people that were blocking McCarthy's path to the speakership and berated them. And in the end, he got enough of them to abstain to where, you know, Kevin McCarthy is the new speaker. Is he a Trump guy? Oh, yeah. And the further bad news is that some of the more radical Trumpistas in the House will continually be trying to push Speaker McCarthy in Trumpian directions. And in case you're wondering what that's going to be like, Tom Nichols in The Atlantic pointed out that Paul Gosar tweeted just a few days back that the Republicans, quote, will conduct a real investigation into January 6th, the effort to attempt a coup between traitor General Mark Miley And Nancy Pelosi will be reviewed and exposed. Mr. McMillan? Anyway, we'll have to return to that on next week's program. We noted a while back that uh, one publication that had moved away from politics seemingly was Vanity Fair which over the years has produced some fantastically on-the-money articles related to politics in the world and in America. At the conclusion of last week's program, we mentioned an investigative piece they published last October, which we're just now getting around to, an investigation conducted with ProPublica and Vanity Fair looking into the origins of COVID-19. They titled it COVID-19 Origins, investigating a quote, complex and grave situation, unquote, inside a Wuhan lab. In the subheadline, they note that the Wuhan lab at the center of suspicions about the pandemic's onset was far more troubled than known. Documents unearthed by a Senate team reveal this. The Senate team they're referring to was the U.S. Senate's Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, H-E-L-P, which published an interim report at the end of October, which concluded that the COVID-19 pandemic was more likely than not the result of a research-related incident. When the pandemic really got on track back in 2020, we took the position that it probably was the result of a, uh, a jump from bat species to another species into humans, something that presumably took place at the wet market in Wuhan, It was our suspicion and the suspicion of many others that the idea of a lab accident was being promoted 
by certain members of the Republican Party and Trumpistas to uh, divert attention from the atrocious handling of the epidemic here in the United States of America, wherein counterproductive measures guaranteed that hundreds of thousands of Americans would die, we dare say, needlessly. And, of course, trying to pin all sorts of problems on Anthony Fauci rather than Donald Trump uh, just increased our suspicions. But as time went on, it seemed clear that the actual native virus in bat populations has yet to be discovered. It has not been discovered in other animals that presumably acted as intermediate species before its jump into humans. And it became very clear that the Chinese were obstructing the investigation into the virus's origins, which we'll have more to say about momentarily. In short, as time goes on, in our opinion, the evidence is moving away from an accidental jump into humans to something that came from a laboratory accident. The proof is not in on this and perhaps never will be. Let's return to where we were a week ago in this program and discuss this article that was in Vanity Fair. A different approach was used in this investigation, which is quite innovative and interesting. The piece opens up by describing one Toy Reed, a man with a gift for languages, who, because of this unusual skill he had, uh, became a China specialist for the RAND Corporation and a political officer in East Asia for the U.S. Department of State. This taught him how to interpret a notoriously opaque language, the party-speak practiced by Chinese communist officials. Reed told the investigators that party-speak has its own lexicon. Even a native Mandarin speaker can't really follow it. It's not meant to be easily understood. It's almost like a secret language of Chinese officialdom. When they're talking about anything potentially embarrassing, they speak of it in innuendo and hushed tones. And there's a certain acceptable way to allude to something. From early 2021 till late 2022, Toy Reed loaned his unusual skills to a nine-person team dedicated to investigating the mystery of COVID-19's origins. This was commissioned by Senator Richard Burr, Republican of North Carolina. The team examined voluminous evidence, most of it open source, but some classified, and weighed the major credible theories for how the novel coronavirus first made a leap into humans. An interim report released in late October by the Minority Oversight Staff of the U.S. Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, H-E-L-P, as we just mentioned and will mention yet again, concludes that the COVID-19 pandemic was, quote, more likely than not the result of a research-related incident, unquote. I'm intrigued by some of the methodology here. Reed took an approach that was artful in its simplicity, said Vanity Fair, working out of the Hart Senate building in Washington and a family home in Florida. He used a virtual private network, or VPN, to access dispatches archived on the website of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. These dispatches remain on the internet, but their meaning can't be unlocked by just anyone. Using his hard-earned expertise, Reed believes he unearthed secrets that were hiding in plain sight. Notes the magazine. Ever since the Chinese city of Wuhan was identified as ground zero for the COVID-19 pandemic, a contingent of scientists have suspected that the virus could have leaked from one of the WIV's complex of laboratories. The WIV, 
Wuhan Institute of Virology, is, after all, the venue for some of China's riskiest coronavirus research. Scientists there have mixed components of different coronaviruses and created new strains in an effort to predict the risks of human infection and to develop vaccines and treatment. There's been much debate in the press over how much of this was going on, and it seems plain as day that enough of it was going on to be a worry. Critics argue, notes the piece, that creating viruses that don't exist in nature runs the risk of unleashing them. I do want to note, going through archives of this program, actually that, that's too fancy a word for it, it's the clippings we've set aside in filing cabinets to use on the show. Well, some of it is transcripts of things we talked about, so there are actual real bona fide archives in there. Something like 12 years ago, we were talking on this program about why it was many laboratories and scientists around the world were saying, you know, the kind of research that's going to produce a Frankenbug, or even to publish the data showing how various virologists were mixing together viruses, was probably a bad idea. To speculate a moment on this program, we don't quite know the answer to this definitively. We, we do wonder, given the tools that are at the disposal of modern scientists to alter the, the DNA or RNA of viruses, given the precision that's now available to people working in this esoteric area, would it not be possible, for example, to recreate the smallpox virus from scratch? Smallpox, if you're keeping score, is the only disease medical science has managed to eliminate from the face of the earth. We thought we had a real shot at getting polio as, as number two, but it looks like the anti-vaxxer crowd has pretty much just put a spanner in the gears on that one. But the fact is, when there was all this talk about WMDs uh, back in 2003 and the mythology that uh, Saddam Hussein might have gotten a hold of some smallpox, something that caused propagandists working to uh, promote the idea of, of having a war against Iraq, actually addressed conventions of doctors. I was there for one where they were explaining how it was we may need to get back to immunizing everybody against smallpox. I'm really sorry that I did not stand up in the middle of this, uh, this auditorium full of doctors and, and simply ask them, why they were wasting our time on this presentation when there was, in fact, zero evidence that Saddam Hussein had smallpox. Or if there was some, would they please start with the explanation of how that was the case? Anyway, as I understand it, the smallpox virus exists in two freezers, one at the NIH and the other in its Russian counterpart, presumably in Moscow. Mr. Merlin wants to reassure us that as far as he knows, and as far as we know, there are no samples being retained at Mar-a-Lago. We presume that when Trump was going out the door with all of those uh, top-secret files, he did not also include a block of dry ice. Anyway, I don't think that the, the genome of smallpox is actually out there, and, and, and I hope it isn't, because that's definitely not the sort of thing you want to ever see in the hands of, like, a, a doomsday cult. But it does seem clear that the uh, good people working in the Wuhan Institute of Virology decided to mix and match various coronavirus strains. There's been much talk of how there was a uh, gain-of-function research conducted to make the virus more easily transmissible. And since it seems pretty universally obvious that that may have been a really bad idea in this case, uh, most folks are pretty mum on the subject. Anyway, back to the article. The WIV has two campuses 
and performed coronavirus research on both. The older Shangshang campus is just eight miles from the crowded seafood market where COVID-19 first burst into public view. The newer Zhengdian campus is 18 miles to the south. It's home to the Institute's most prestigious laboratory, a biosafety level four facility designed to enable safe research on the world's most lethal pathogens. This does take us back to uh, the mid-aughts in Davis, California, when there was a great deal of talk about building a uh, a bioresearch laboratory near the campus. A lot of folks pointed out that a bioresearch facility was the same thing as a bioweapons facility. We agreed with people that took that viewpoint. And fortunately, enough public opposition to the creation of this laboratory stymied the effort and got the lab moved instead to Texas, which, in our opinion, is just about the the nicest state they could have chosen for a bioweapons laboratory. Perhaps we should clarify that and call it the most deserving state. Back to the article. Like many scientific institutes in China, the WIV is state-run and funded. The research carried out there must advance the goals of the Chinese Communist Party. As one way to ensure compliance, the CCP operates 16 party branches inside of the WIV, and we're not sure exactly what that means, where members, including scientists, meet regularly and demonstrate their loyalty. Week after week, scientists from these branches chronicle their party-building exploits in reports uploaded to the WIV's website. These dispatches, intended for watchful higher-ups, generally consist of upbeat recitations of recruitment efforts and meeting summaries that emphasize the fulfillment of Beijing's political goals. Tori Reid says, The headlines and initial paragraphs seem completely innocuous. If you didn't take a close look, you'd probably think there's nothing in here. But, notes the article, much like imperfect propaganda, the dispatches hold glimmers of real-life tension among colleagues, abuse from bosses, reprimands from party superiors. The grievances are often couched in a narrative of heroism, a focus on problems overcome and challenges met against daunting odds. As Reed burrowed into the party branch dispatches, he became riveted by the unfolding picture. They describe intense pressure to produce scientific breakthroughs that would elevate China's standing in the world stage, despite a dire lack of essential resources. Years after construction of the BSL-4 lab was complete, they were still retelling the story of how they overcame the three no's to build a world-class facility. The dispatches described these obstacles as no equipment and technology standards, no design and construction items, and no experience operating or maintaining a lab of this caliber. It's nice to know, isn't it, that they rose up and overcame these (laughs) slight problems with the lab, which we remind you included no equipment or technology standards, no design and construction teams, and no expertise operating or maintaining a lab of this caliber. And then, notes the piece, in the fall of 2019, the dispatches took a darker turn. They referenced inhumane working conditions and, quote, hidden safety dangers, unquote. On November 12th of that year, a dispatch by party branch members to the BSL-4 lab appeared to reference a biosecurity breach, according to an interim report. And we have to apologize for, for trying to read the verbatim transcript of these reports that Mr. Reed is working on, because it does give you an idea of how opaque the communications are. They wrote, 
Once you have opened these stored test tubes, it is just as if having opened Pandora's box. These viruses come without a shadow and leave without a trace. Although we have various preventative and protective measures, it is nevertheless necessary for lab personnel to operate very cautiously to avoid operational errors that give rise to dangers. Every time this has happened, the members of the Xingdang Lab BSL-4 party branch have always run to the front line, and they've taken real actions to mobilize and motivate other research personnel. So Reed studied this and pondered, was this a reference to a past accident? Very possibly. An admission of an ongoing crisis? Well, apparently. A general recognition of hazardous practices or all of the above? Reading between the lines, Reed concluded they are almost saying they know Beijing is about to come down and scream at them. And that, in Reed's view, is exactly what happened next, according to a meeting summary uploaded nine days later. Now, the magazine inserted a parenthesis at this point after it initially pubbed this article, saying that after publication of this article, a number of observers challenged Reed's translation of a passage. Three Chinese language experts subsequently commissioned by Vanity Fair and ProPublica said the passage was ambiguous. They said Reed's translation was plausible, but not the only way to represent it. Anyway, the dozens of pages of WIV dispatches that Reed unearthed, particularly those from November 2019, helped shape the conclusions of the interim report for the U.S. Senate. And they note that Vanity Fair and ProPublica spent months looking at other documents that the Senate researchers had unearthed and said this, We also traced the hazards that arose as the WIV built a lab to research the world's most dangerous pathogens. Taken together, our reporting provides critical context that is not included in the pared-down 35-page interim report for the Senate. It offers the most detailed picture to date of the months leading up to the COVID-19 outbreak, including new details on the intense pressure the lab faced to produce breakthrough research and its struggles to grapple with mounting safety issues and a previously unreported series of references to what investigators in the Senate team believe to be a biocontainment incident shortly before the virus began infecting its first victims. Vanity Fair and ProPublica also downloaded more than 500 documents from the WIV website, including party branch dispatches from 2017 to the present. To assess Reed's interpretations, they sent key documents to experts on CCP communications. They told us the WIV dispatches did indeed signal that the Institute faced an acute safety emergency in November of 2019, that officials at the highest level of the Chinese government weighed in, and that urgent action was taken in an effort to address ongoing safety issues. The documents do not make clear who was responsible for the crisis, which laboratory it affected specifically, or what the exact nature of the biosafety emergency was. The interim report also raises questions about how quickly vaccines were developed in China, including one developed by a military virologist named Zhou Yusen. The report called it unusual that two military COVID vaccine development teams were able to reach early milestones even faster than the major drug companies who were part of the U.S. government's Operation Warp Speed program. Vanity Fair and ProPublica spoke to experts who said the timeline of the vaccine development seemed unrealistic, if not impossible. Two of three experts said it strongly suggested that his team 
must have had access to the genomic sequence of the virus no later than in November of 2019, weeks before China's official recognition that the virus was circulating. Anyway, it's a very long article. I suggest, dear listener, that you, that you locate it and read it for yourself. Anyway, what's emerging from this is a rather complicated picture. One thing that stands out in my mind is the notion that the coronavirus turned out to be so bloody infectious in the human population that a lot of scientists say that itself raises a red flag. If coronaviruses are circulating around in bat populations, and God knows they are, then they will with time be adapted to jumping from bat to bat. Human beings are not exactly like bats, so it would not be expected that it would be that infectious were to make that transition from one animal to another. This article does note that the question of where COVID-19 came from has never been a purely scientific one. From the start, in both China and the U.S., it's been politicized almost beyond recognition. I was intrigued by an item mentioned in the article that in February of 2022, a team of researchers from China's CDC published a preprint revealing that 457 swabs were taken from 18 species of animals in the Wuhan wet market. None contained any evidence of the virus. Rather, the virus was found in 73 swabs taken from around the market's environment, all linked to human infections. And although some seafood and vegetable vendors in the market tested positive, no vendors from the animal stalls did. So maybe both lines of reasoning come into play here. Somebody got the disease from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and then made a trip across town over to the wet market where he coughed on a couple of the vendors in the seafood and vegetable sections. Another odd factoid out of, out of this mixture is, the, is that the bat caves wherein these coronavirus-infected bats were operating is in Yunnan province in China, hundreds of miles away from Wuhan. Another factoid I find curious is that Zhao Yusen, who was the director of the State Key Laboratory of Pathogens and Biosecurity at the Academy of Military Medical Sciences Institute of Microbiology and Epidemiology in Beijing, the guy who managed to come up with a vaccine with remarkable speed, is now listed as deceased. But the circumstances of his death have not been disclosed. An awful lot has not been disclosed by the Chinese. And it turns out that September, September 12th of 2019, before the you-know-what hit the fan, the Senate interim report noted that the WIV took down its wildlife-borne viral pathogen database, which contained more than 15,000 samples from bats. The database had been a resource for global researchers. A password-protected section only accessible to WIH personnel contained unpublished sequences of bat beta coronaviruses, the family of coronaviruses to which SARS-CoV-2 belongs. And when you know it, public access to the database has not yet been restored. And here's a curious piece to the puzzle. On December 11th of 2019, a team of WIV researchers submitted a patent application in China for a device to filter and contain hazardous gases inside a biological chamber, like the ones used to transport infected animals. The application, which Vanity Fair and ProPublica reviewed, noted that defective air hoses on animal carriers can lead to multi-stage risks when airborne pathogens are involved and warned that a stable, high-efficiency filtering device and corrosion-resistant frame were urgently needed. Anyway, there's so much more that could be said, and <laughs> I haven't even 
hardly scratched the surface of this article and, and all the data that it contains. So uh, for further information, we're going to have to send you off to ProPublica slash Vanity Fair. And no, I didn't expect to talk about this for the entire segment, but I think it's a damn interesting topic and a very important one for the future. As human beings expand all over the world and our population continues to grow unabated, humans keep expanding into formerly wild areas and in doing so come up against animals and viruses that uh, we'd been previously sequestered from. Seems universally agreed this is going to lead to some viruses making their way into Homo sapiens. But far worse than that, in our opinion, is the idea that biological research, which does allow us to manipulate deadly agents, uh, is something that appears to be, well, not as well controlled as it might be. Let's put it that way. Larry Kerr, a virologist who recently retired as the HHS's director of the Office of Pandemics and Emerging Threats, also served as an expert advisor to the Senate report. He told Vanity Fair and ProPublica, My gut feeling is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was not ready to go hot when they turned everything on at the BSL-4 and started doing experiments in early 2018. He added, even when the WIV's people are saying, we don't have the resources and capabilities to keep this up and running, it's like, holy crap. If you're working in a lab like that, I don't understand why people don't shut it down. But they note the showpiece laboratory remained as busy as ever. As Toy Reid said of the WIV dispatches he analyzed, the feel you get from all these documents is it's just produce, 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 like an actor preparing to take the stage before they're ready. Anyway, we hadn't talked about COVID-19 on this program for a while, and I think we've made up for that just now. We hope, dear listener, that you have gotten your vaccines and that you continue to exercise some reasonable precautions when out in Areas where you interact with the public. Mr. Millen suggests that if you do eat bats, please, please stop. But as we speak right now, it turns out that there are three different respiratory viruses raging across America. RSV, the flu, and COVID-19. Hospitals are overwhelmed here in the U.S. And uh, I just, I just want to take my hat off to the people that are in the trenches still working to keep us healthy. Oh, meanwhile, over in China, their policy of uh, clamping down ruthlessly and then all of a sudden turning everyone loose while having the population insufficiently vaccinated, well, that doesn't seem to be panning out so well. But believe you me, we don't have any time to talk about that today. Let us take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to take a deep dive into our, quote, archives, unquote. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Yeah. 